Today is December 11th, 2020. 46 states file antitrust lawsuits against Facebook. YouTube bans videos that claim election interference. And Hunter Biden is under investigation by the feds. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and family to another fantabulous episode here on Split the Difference podcast hosted by yours truly, Austin Taylor. Let me tell you, we're bringing you the best episode we've got so far because we got the research on the left. We got the research of the right. We're looking at the good, bad, and all that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the center. If you are new, welcome in. We are so glad to have you. Pull up a chair, turn up your AirPods, and listen in to the best political podcast that you have ever heard. One where we're looking at both sides of the aisle as much as we possibly can. Acknowledging that there's good and bad on both sides and doing our best to find where the truth often lies, which we think is in the middle. We think there's a lot of divisiveness in this world. The media is telling you and your great aunt Sally is telling you that we're more divided than we've ever been, but we want to work our hardest to be reasonable, to be level-headed, and, you know, to try and have a little bit of unity, to try and have good civil discourse and conversation that is beneficial for all across the political spectrum, even though we may disagree with others have with what others have to say. We think it's beneficial to at least have educated opinions and talk about it and see where the compromise often lies. So if that is something that you're interested in or if you've been with us for a while, let's hop on in now to our first story of the day. Story number one. So for our first story of the day, Facebook gets sued. And when I say they get sued, they get sued big time. The Federal Trade Commission files a suit. 46 states and territories file antitrust lawsuits against Facebook. And uh, it is all over the news. So basically all the states jump in at once and they just are rolling out all the big guns. Um, The idea is basically attacking Mark Zuckerberg and attacking Facebook as a whole for a lot of their, we'll say, maybe shadier dealings and taking over other companies and trying to squander competition within the marketplace. So a large part of this puts a huge spotlight on the CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, um, and it puts a huge spotlight in a lot of, in a lot of the executive suites, at not only Facebook, but it looks like they may be coming after a lot of the other large tech companies as well. So let's hop on in real quick, take a quick video on uh, USA Today, or uh, today, um, I think that's through NBC, uh, did a, a quick story about kind of just what all is happening with this. This morning, federal and state authorities want to break up Facebook. The world's largest social media company hit with two major lawsuits, one by the Federal Trade Commission, the other by attorneys general in 46 states. Both lawsuits allege Facebook illegally crushed its competition, violating antitrust laws and creating a monopoly. The commission's requested relief includes unwinding Facebook's prior acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp, and barring Facebook from engaging in additional anti-competitive practices. New York's Attorney General Letitia James is leading the lawsuit by the state, alleging if companies stepped into Facebook's turf or resisted pressure to sell, Zuckerberg would go into destroy mode, subjecting your business to the wrath of Mark. Right, so uh, clearly you can see the goal here behind all this is pretty much to break Facebook up into three companies. Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp. So Facebook acquired Instagram and WhatsApp within the past 10 years or so, both of them within the past 10 years or so. 
Um, and it currently has is sitting around a market value of about $800 billion. So that is a gigantic market cap. It is one of the largest companies in the entire world. Um, it is, you know, only, you know, shortly behind Apple. It's right up there with Amazon. Um, a lot of these just gigantic tech companies that have just boomed over the past decade to decade and a half have seen just incredible gains. And in this lawsuit, they are alleging that Facebook had a lot of their gains due to a little bit more of nefarious and shady activities and squandering competition, which is illegal in the United States of America. So I guess before we talk into, because there's not a ton of information out about uh, what the actual suits are going to say and how exactly they're going to go about the proceedings and what the arguments that are they're going to make, um, I guess one of the big questions around all this is first, like why break up big companies? Like why would the United States government be suing Facebook? Um, what exactly is antitrust legislation? And if we live in a free market and we say that we support capitalism in the United States, then what's wrong with companies getting big? So in order to be able to understand a lot of this whole antitrust sentiment, we've got to go all the way back to 1890. Way, way back in the day, people were still taking their horse and buggy into the war, into the office every day, right? Well, not everybody, but <laughs> you get the gist of what I'm saying. Long time ago. So uh, the president was Benjamin Harrison. And over the past, you know, really couple of decades, there had been an increasingly large amount of extremely gigantic businesses that were having a lot of influence in politics, and they were having a lot of influence over the entirety of American life. You can think Carnegie with steel. You can think Vanderbilt with the railroads. You can think uh, Rockefeller with the big oil companies, right? And these incredibly large companies were going in and basically just buying out the entirety of anybody that would come in to try to compete in this in, in their space. So if you wanted to be able to get into uh, the oil business or anything, then you're going to obviously have to compete with Rockefeller. And in order to do that, you have to be able to beat him in, uh, from uh, with a lot of the stuff that you know he was already doing, right? Like he was already going through and taking out a ton of large companies, and a lot of it was because he was just gigantic, and he knew that he'd be able to take them out. So the purpose was basically to keep large companies from crowding out new competitors through using force and power and size and might. So it says, quote, every contract, combination, or conspiracy in restraint of trade, and any monopolization, attempted monopolization, or conspiracy or combination to monopolize. So the idea was basically to, the main goal was to prevent companies from artificially raising powers through monopolized trade or commerce. If there's only one person within a specific space or specific service or goods that is selling that service or goods, then they can artificially raise the price higher than what the service or good is actually worth because you can't go and buy that product or service anywhere else. Not very good. So I want to be clear here, though. There is a provision for a, quote, innocent monopoly, right? So this would be a monopoly that comes about because they innovate well, they invest in, you know, research and development, they invest in, um, in great customer service, and they have an extremely quality product, right? Well, if you're crowding out other competitors because your product is or service is just better than theirs, then that's okay, right? Like that's the goal of every business to have the best quality product or service for the best price. And as a result, you're beating out other competitors that are trying to sell something similar. 
So this is not the Sherman Antitrust Act was not designed to try and attack companies for having a very good quality uh, service or product. It was mainly trying to take out and break up companies that were doing, you know, basically artificially monopolizing things, even though, you know, they didn't have the best quality product or service by power and, you know, other other ways. So this was later followed up by the Clayton Antitrust Act of 1914, and this got into price discrimination between different purchasers. If such discrimination tends to create a monopoly, exclusive dealing agreements, tying arrangements, or mergers and acquisitions that substantially reduce market competition, which that's a huge piece into what they're attacking Facebook on. So the question then becomes, did Facebook act in any way that would have violated or, quote, conspired to restrict trade or free in a free and open market? Or did they acquire other businesses in a way that would have substantially reduced market competition? When you look at Facebook, when you look at their activities and you look at how they've become one of the largest companies in the entire world, a lot of the stuff that they've done looks like it has gone against a lot of the antitrust and, you know, provisions we have in acts that would fight against monopolies. Um, think a lot, a lot of the stuff that they've made a lot of money on, they didn't innovate and they didn't create. If you look at like the timeline model, that was really kind of made by Twitter, right? Jack Dorsey and Twitter was the one that kind of came out and made the timeline where you can just scroll through and see stuff as it's been posted. Stories, all the Facebook stories and Instagram stories, that was made by Snapchat. Uh, Messenger, for the most part, they kind of ripped off WhatsApp for the most part. So, uh, they purchased Instagram outright and WhatsApp outright uh, because they saw them as competitors in spaces that they wanted to do. And instead of, you know, creating an entirely new product that was their own product that would be able to compete with Instagram or WhatsApp, they went through and just bought them because they were way, way bigger. So what does the left say about this? The left wants Facebook broken up because they believe that they violated antitrust laws and they really don't like extremely large corporations. The left usually frowns upon large businesses, especially when the large businesses acting and working in the best interest of big business. Uh, they don't think that big tech should have more power than the government, for sure. They think the government should be the foremost and largest power in the land. And they really, really don't want large corporations controlling our lives. The right, on the other hand, doesn't like Facebook because they don't want them controlling the media narrative and crowding out other voices of conservatives, which we will talk about a little bit in our second story. Um, but either way, it doesn't look good for Facebook, right? Oftentimes when you see especially the entirety of the United States attorneys generals, all attorneys general gathering in on attacking a certain thing or suing a specific company, it doesn't bode well for that company. Okay. I think that this is a sentiment of breaking up Facebook and breaking up a lot of these large tech companies is something that has been growing slowly, but surely, especially within the opinion of Americans as you know, docu-series or documentaries like uh, The Social Dilemma have come out, as more information is being disseminated about how the, these various social media companies go about getting and grabbing and keeping your attention for long periods of time, uh, a lot of America, I think, is looking at this and I think kind of cheering on the federal government right now because they don't want Facebook to be an $800 billion company that basically controls and does whatever it wants to do. Um, there's also some pretty, pretty scary stuff that Facebook has done abroad and in other countries where they have done much shadier things and much nefarious things in order to be able to take up the entirety of the market share of consumers in that country as well. So, um, 
personally, I agree with sentiments on both sides of the aisle. Um, I one, you know, I think that Facebook does need to be broken up because I think they have clearly violated antitrust acts, especially in terms of purchasing and crowding out competitions to create a monopoly uh, within their respective social media state uh, space. Um, I think with the purchase of Instagram, especially the purchase of WhatsApp, you know, they've gone through and bought out uh, like VR Oculus is another great example. They've just slowly but surely gone through and just bought and crowded out and done their best to reduce the business of competitors until those competitors eventually just sell to them to which they take things over, claim it as their own and basically just boom those companies straight up to the roof because they have the cash flow to be able to do it. Um, I think that they've purposefully bought out those smaller companies in order to be able to, you know, it takes, Facebook has basically come to the place multiple occasions where they're like, it's going to cost us more money in research and development and innovation to be able to create new products the way that Instagram has created stuff or Snapchat or any of the, uh, these other companies. So instead, we'd rather just go ahead and buy Instagram. It's much cheaper for us to be able to do that. Um, and I think that the social media landscape for the most part is worse off because Facebook has become so large and has become such a bully on the block that there's not nearly as much innovation. There's not nearly as many competitors in the marketplace. And, you know, you're not able to see more bang for your buck as the consumer because Facebook is basically just bullying everybody and pushing everyone around. So, I mean, I, I do think that for, I mean, it's proven, right, that Facebook purposefully crowds out more conservative voices. And we'll get into that in the second story a bit, but uh, large social media you know, companies do that. But uh, to me, that's not the biggest thing around all this. I think the most important thing is that they are you know, purposefully quelling competition. And I don't like the idea of monopolies quelling competition because that is uh, negative for and that it goes against free markets. That is not what a capital or a free market system is able to rely on. So with all of that having been said, let's hop on in now to our second story of the day, story number two. So for story number two, YouTube restricts posts on its platform. Dun, dun, dun. Something that everyone has been waiting for for a long time, which actually this is really funny. So I went to look up on YouTube because oftentimes I'll show... I'll show videos on my podcast or give videos like I did a little bit earlier of like news stations or different areas that are reporting on something because I think it is able to sum up what I'm trying to say or maybe give a good clue into the story heading into uh, a discussion about it. But if you go on YouTube and you look up YouTube bans posts about election fraud, you don't find any videos about it. Huh. Very odd. So I have no video around this today. <laughs> uh, YouTube basically came out released a statement saying, listen, we are, the summation of it is we're going to stop allowing videos that are posted about election fraud and election interference because, you know, all of the states have certified their votes as of December 8th. We don't think that any of these videos are actually uh, pushing a positive narrative that is, you know, based in any type of fact. So we're going to stop allowing these videos onto our platform. We're going to continue to review people that do post videos of alleging election fraud and election interference. And we're going to, you know, disallow those people to be able to post those, you know, I guess, error filled or not fact, you know, not fact backed um 
stories on our platform. So they claim that they're defending democracy. A lot of the left is just like, yeah, we really like this. This is great. This is exactly what YouTube needs to do. They're basically claiming that in some ways they know what the truth is. The truth is that there's no such thing as election fraud and election interference. And they've decided that Trump and the Republicans are working to actively undermine democracy. And as a result, it's their job to step in defend democracy just like the Washington Post you know democracy dies in darkness holding up the torch of truth there at the Washington Post and they're going to work to try and make sure that we all know what's true and we are getting the facts correctly so um, for a while now many of the social media companies and many of the large media companies have been claiming that Trump is the worst thing that has ever happened to the entire world he's been equated to Hitler he's been equated to uh, you know uh, literally Stalin name a horrible person that's done horrible things they have said that Donald Trump is that person so with Trump coming out and claiming that there was election fraud uh, this raises him to an entirely new level of hatred within the media and large social media companies that tend to be much more left-leaning. But instead of them just talking about what is happening, publishing things that they believe go against what he's saying and actually uh, debunk a lot of the claims that he's stating, and then telling, competing, telling their competing arguments to the audiences that listen to them and trying to disseminate that information to other audiences that, that wouldn't otherwise hear their arguments, they have now resulted and they've gone to just literally trying to silence those voices completely. Okay, so now I've been very open, very, very openly critical about Trump how he's gone about attacking this whole election process, claiming fraud, which I think in a lot of ways uh, has, has been based in not a lot of truth. I have seen very, very scant evidence outside of a couple of conspiratorial videos that have been passed around the internet um, that actually prove any type of real fraud that would be able to happen. He's been knocked down in court over and over and over and over again. He still has some open cases out, but... I don't see the Kraken, quote-unquote, getting released anytime soon. I think it's apparently obvious that Trump actually lost, and I think that he lost pretty handily to Biden. With that having been said, there's a couple of things that you have to look at when you're looking at all this. One, for me, for any time that free speech is limited, it is not good, okay? I will never advocate for the limiting or quelling of speech because I think it is paramount to having a free and open society. Having free speech is the number one thing that you need to have in order for competing arguments to be sent out amongst the citizenry and for them to be able to cognitively and properly make the decisions that they need to make upon political elections, upon opinions that they have and what's going on in the country. There needs to be a multiplicity of voices within the marketplace for people to be able to choose from what they want to choose from decide who gives them the most facts and the best arguments, and then afterwards decide what it is that they believe. At no point, even if it's something that I absolutely loathe being said, am I going to jump in on the bandwagon of silencing the voices of people that are saying it. This includes all kinds of nasty stuff. I hate the fact that there's the KKK out there rallying and getting people to come to their cause. I cannot stand the fact that there are people in the Taliban or in Al-Qaeda or in ISIS that are recruiting people from across the world for saying, you know, across the world by, you know, alleging and putting out their arguments that I think are absolutely horrible and that are, you know, counterproductive to everything that we have here in our society. With that, 
I don't want their speech to be stopped, though, because I don't want someone deciding what is good speech and what is bad speech. I want for the everyday person to decide that they don't like the KKK and that they can't stand white supremacy. I want for the everyday person to be able to listen to the arguments of ISIS and say, no, that's pretty awful. I would never actually support or get behind any of that. And for me, the best way to combat terrible speech is to have more good speech. It's not to silence the bad speech. It's to have more good speech. Secondly, YouTube is their own company and they have the right to block whatever it is that they want to block on their platform. As much as you don't like YouTube banning people or limiting what people say, it's their platform. And when you sign up for their platform, you are agreeing to the terms of usage and you're agreeing, agreeing to the terms and conditions as soon as you create that account and upload that first video. If you you know want to read through the entirety of their terms and conditions and all of their posting policy, you have the right to do that. And if you don't want to abide by that, you don't have to use their platform, right? It's that simple. They create their own terms of service and they're the ones that enforce those terms of service. By using YouTube, you're agreeing to abide by those terms and conditions, okay? So the reason that YouTube has gotten as big as it has in many ways is because you could post on there about pretty much anything that you want, right? You can post a video about how to brush your dog's fur, right? And then right after that, post a video about your uneducated political opinions. And then right after that, post a video about how to teaching somebody how to drive a, a stick shift car. Doesn't matter what it is, literally whatever you want. You can post it on your channel and, you know, YouTube will go through and allow it to be posted outside of violence, outside of pornography, outside of things that are explicit. YouTube will allow you to go and do that. And they have those terms and terms of service because that's what YouTube believes should be posted on their platform. So now they're stepping in and they're deciding that they're going to limit some of their terms. They're going to change their terms of service. They're going to limit some of the things that can be published and please hear me when I say, this is a business decision for them. 100%, okay? YouTube, the company, does not give two craps at all about your free speech and what it means to the stabilization of our democracy and the proportion of having good and fair active arguments all out in the marketplace so that people can decide and that they're, you know, YouTube, the company, is just the harbinger of change and just the light in the darkness, YouTube doesn't care about that. You know what YouTube does care about? Is money. They care about making their stockholders happy. And YouTube right now wants their bottom line to be constantly going up. They want revenue to increase. They want video watching to increase. They think that having videos on their site that are election that are that are alleging, you know, election fraud is actually hurting their bottom line. Okay? What they're doing is making an incredibly calculated move here. They are betting that more people will appreciate them trying to limit potentially false information than people that are angry because they limited free speech. So at the end of the day, this is going to end up helping or hurting their bottom line. They're betting that it's going to help their bottom line. Okay. But if or when a new company decides to come into the space, that is a video platform very similar to theirs that has much more open terms of service that people actually like more, people will start migrating away from YouTube, and eventually YouTube will lose a portion of that market share, and they may or may not decide to rethink some of their terms of service and rethink about you know what, what all it is that they allow on their platform. 
But I think to sit here and act like, you know, YouTube is part of this, you know, gigantic liberal, nefarious liberal, like one world order conspiracy government that's trying to strict, restrict all corporations or, you know, all conservatives across the country. That's not what's happening. YouTube is looking right now at the landscape and they're saying, we think that if we go ahead and we ban and we remove these videos, that it will have a positive impact on our bottom line because more people will appreciate us as a company and more people will look at us and think that we're trying to actually purport and put videos on our platform that will be beneficial to them, okay? YouTube is not sitting around wondering and thinking about if conservatives will be upset about this or, you know, wondering and thinking, you know, how is this going to affect, you know, the truthfulness in our election process and how is this going to be of benefit to our country and our people? They don't care, all right? They don't care at all. So we'll have to see, you know, how all this ends up working out. I, I, I personally think that it's a pretty bad bet by YouTube. I don't think that they're doing a very good job because I think that if there's anything that the American people legitimately do want and, and care for, it's free speech. And I think that slowly but surely, when, the, when that right has started to take away, there's going to be a lot of people that are cheering this right now because they hate Donald Trump and they hate the idea that he's purporting election fraud. But... You know, as soon as that's flipped and that's turned around on them, because eventually it will be, they're not going to like it very much. So this is why it's always beneficial to have an open marketplace where you can go and, like Parler did, create a whole social media platform where there's, you know, the terms of service are much looser. You can go in there and just do whatever, post, you know, for the most part, whatever you want. Um, so this may end up hurting their bottom line. I personally think that it will, but. At the end of the day, it's YouTube trying to make a business decision. It's not YouTube sitting around, I think, trying to make a gigantic political statement and, and benefit our democracy, right? That's not YouTube's goal here. So with all that having been said, let's hop on in now to our last story of the day, story number three. So for our third story of the day, Hunter Biden comes out and says that he's being investigated by the feds. Apparently, he's been under investigation since 2008 by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware. All of this was after a pretty large-scale cover-up by pretty much the entirety of the media over the past month or so, claiming that Hunter Biden wasn't and hasn't done anything bad. Um, it also is clear that Joe Biden was not and is not under investigation as well. So um, let's hop in real quick. Of course, Fox News is the only one that's really covering this. So we'll listen into them and hear what they have to say. All right. Hunter Biden uh, is being investigated right now by tax authorities. He uh, said and made a statement as such. The uh, uh, president-elect's son saying, I learned yesterday for the first time that the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware advised my legal counsel also yesterday that they are investigating my tax affairs. We do not know what they are investigating. During the campaign, of course, much was made of his connections and business dealings uh, with Ukraine and China. We don't know if they are, are focused on those. We do know, though, that the probe was disclosed just about five days before Joe Biden is expected to formally, formally become the president-elect. He's all but that right now with the Electoral College meeting to settle the issue once and for all. Right. So um, his taxes and basically his dealings with foreign governments are what's being looked at right here. Uh, the uh, Right now, we don't know exactly what it is that is under investigation. It looks like his taxes. Uh, a Senate report came out. It was released that showed a whole bunch of his transaction history and stuff with a couple of Chinese businessmen and companies. And it definitely looks extremely suspicious, to say the least. Um, there's a lot of lot of names of various people around the world. And it's pretty clear that Biden or Hunter Biden was kind of 
gallivanting around a little bit, um, you know, doing his thing across the world and making very, very good money doing it. So obviously you can't find this on any other news sites besides concert, more conservative news outlets. I mean, other, other news outlets have covered it, but it definitely wasn't like front page news by any stretch of the imagination. It was more of like kind of had to sift through some of the other garbage in order to be able to find it. So, uh, what is the left saying about this? The left is looking at this and they're saying there's, there isn't really any clear evidence yet that Hunter Biden actually did anything wrong. Just because somebody's under investigation doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be convicted of anything. Um, and even if there is evidence of wrongdoing, it doesn't mean that Joe Biden actually did anything wrong, right? Which is absolutely fair. Just because Hunter Biden was out, you know, making shady business deals with Chinese businessmen does not mean that Joe Biden was participating in any of that, knew that any of it was going on, or, you know, condoned any of it by any stretch of the imagination. So what does the right say about this? The right is obviously absolutely outraged. So uh, many conservatives are jumping up and down and claim that this is the smoking gun of how the media uh, basically covered up a whole bunch of corruption within the Biden family and within the Biden campaign uh, and Biden when he was in office during the Obama years as well. They're pointing at the established media and say, establishment media and saying that Biden is pretty much uh, you know, is pretty much being backed by the entirety of the media because they're the ones that haven't wanted to cover any of this stuff and haven't wanted to cover any of the Biden scandals that have been going on with the laptop that was released and, you know, the big news story with New York Post and it getting banned on Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. Uh, ben Shapiro said on his podcast, this was clear evidence that the entirety of the establishment media were purposefully aiding and abetting Biden and his campaign. So, um, I'm not what I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that this story not coming out right before the election or maybe it, what people did know that it was going to come out but decided to cover up, you know, maybe the media didn't dive into Hunter Biden and his business dealings nearly as much as they should have. I'm not going to sit here and say that that affected the election and that had the media actually covered this the way that they should have that there would have been a completely different election result. That's stupid. There's no point in sitting down and, you know, looking back on things and saying, well, things would have been different if, right? Or you saw a lot of that in 2016 with like, you know, James Comey coming out and announcing that they were investigating Hillary Clinton and everybody being like, well, you just shot the entire election for Hillary Clinton and that's the only reason Trump won. No, I don't think that's necessarily true, but you can't look back and say, what if? However, I will say this. <laughs> There's an obvious and clear bias the entirety of the media landscape for the liberal and democratic side of the aisle. It's apparently obvious. And I would be blown away if something came out about Ivanka or Don Jr., that they had some shady business dealings overseas, that that would not be front page news on CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC. I mean, Huffington Post, Every single large news outlet would be covering that. I mean, like there are a lot, it was the only truth that had ever been told. I mean, there would be investigative journalists all over those stories doing everything they could to be able to bring everything out into the open. So, um, I obviously I haven't read through the entirety of the reports. I haven't, you know, I'm not sitting in there investigating Hunter Biden. I think that at the end of the day, this is going to end up going away here within like the next week or two. But it does raise very, very big questions around, you know, 
what is going to happen with the media landscape here over the next year to three years to five years because there is such an obvious and clear bias from the left side of the aisle, you know, from the media. Totally covering up, not covering stories at all that would be, you know, hurting or not beneficial for the Biden campaign. Very, very clear that that happened and that was done, I mean, on a very, very large scale by the vast majority of the media. That is, that's not good. And what's happening is you're seeing the entirety of the United States just completely losing faith in the media as, as you know, just an institution as a whole, right? There's very, very little faith that when you are looking at or you are getting your news from any sources, that that is not biased in a certain way or that there's not some sort of agenda that's coming behind it, right? And that's not good. That, that's not what you want. You talk to anybody either on the left or the right side of the aisle and you ask them about what it was like listening to the news when they were, you know, in the in the seventies or in the eighties. And they'll be like, yeah, no, it was not like this. It wasn't like this at all. Like they just told you the facts for the most part and you listened to the facts and you decided on your own. And there's definitely a clear shift uh, that has happened over the past 10 years to 20 years where uh, the media has definitely taken a much more important role in forming and shaping our opinions by making a lot of their broadcasts and their news, you know, much more biased. Um, at the end of the day, though, this story specifically is going to be gone in the wind here in the next couple of days. Nobody will even remember that Hunter Biden is being investigated more than likely within the next week. Um it's just another example of conservatives jumping up and down and claiming there's clear bias. There obviously is clear bias, and the media is acting like they have no idea what anybody's talking about. <laughs> Pretty standard stuff. So with all of that having been said, let's go ahead and move on in to the last segment of our show, Something That Made Me Smile. So something that made me smile this week was actually breaking out my cello for the first time in a while. I hadn't played my cello in a bit. Um, had a ton of fun sitting down. My brother and I just kind of hung out, played a little bit of music uh, a night or two ago, and just had a great time. Uh, definitely needed it. Uh, haven't been able to play it for a little... Well, I have been able to play it. I've just been lazy. Um, but it definitely reminded me of how much I enjoyed the instrument specifically, how beautiful it is. Um, and it's kind of gotten me back into and listening to a lot of more... Um, classical music, which has been a ton of fun listening to a lot more Bach or um, Paganini or, you know, whoever it is, right? Uh, so it's been a ton of fun that, you know, this week just kind of enjoying and playing that a little bit more. Um, if you have any musical ability or you enjoy playing music, then I think that, you know, you definitely know what I'm talking about when you go for a little while without playing a certain instrument and then you come back and play it again and pick it up. It's just a ton of fun. It's frustrating because you're not as good as you once were, but it's a ton of fun. So that's definitely something that made me smile this week. Uh, and hopefully will continue to make me smile for many more years. <laughs> so with all that, that is the show. Thank you for joining in with us today. Thank you for listening to stuff on the left, listening to stuff on the right. And I hope that you, as I will try, as I am trying to do, will continue to try and have conversations that are open and candid and will bring a little more unity and acknowledging the good and bad on both sides of the aisle. If that's something that you like, then find me on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast. Find my website at Split the Difference. I'm on YouTube and Facebook as well. Uh, for Split the Difference. Go on there and find me. Check me out a little bit. Uh, give me a like, a subscribe, give me a thumbs up or a five-star review. Definitely all of those things go a very, very long way and get my name out there so that hopefully I can continue to do this podcast for many more years. So uh, with all that, we're going to remember, guys, always keep a level head, always be reasonable, and always work to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor. <laughs>